Imagine you or a loved one goes into the hospital for a treatable condition and then ends up with a completely unrelated health problem while admitted. For upwards of 1 million Americans who experience falls in our healthcare systems every year, this is the exact reality. Today on Guidewire, we talk to Kim Young, clinical senior management engineer in the Office of Quality Excellence at UNC Health, about one of the most challenging problems facing our healthcare systems, falls and falls prevention. Welcome to Guidewire, a direct line to medical device innovation. We are the boots on the ground inside of healthcare working to uncover and solve high-impact, unmet medical needs. Welcome to Guidewire. I'm your host, Devin Hubbard, and today I am joined by our very own Kim Young. She is the Clinical Senior Management Engineer in the Office of Quality Excellence and Performance Improvement at UNC Health, and today we are going to talk about falls. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on the on the podcast. So we have had a couple of conversations with you regarding this particular topic as the Fast Tracks engineers in the past. We've actually gone in and shadowed and observed with some of the clinical units here at UNC, in fact, to try and understand falls better. This seems to be a perennial issue. And I think because you know a ton about it, I thought as at a recent conversation when we were in a meeting together, it'd be fun to to get you on the podcast to talk about it because falls are such a huge problem. So I'll start with this. Before we even get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your role at UNC Health and kind of like why falls matter to you? Yeah. So I am a nurse by background. So I've worked at UNC for the last 15 years, obviously have a lot of direct experience with trying to prevent falls in patients. But now I work as kind of a quality coach where I look at a lot of our processes and try to improve them. And I do that for the whole Department of Medicine. And falls is a really big problem. And it's something we've worked on for a very long time. And uh, a lot of people are engaged in trying to do better at falls. And yet it's a persistent problem. So just to give you an example, last year we had For the last fiscal year, we had about 850 falls, unique falls. Some of these are patients who have fallen more than once, but we had about about 850. Almost 20% of those were patients who were injured, which means they had a hip fracture or some kind of injury that had to be treated. Before they fell or after they fell? Because of the fall. Gotcha. Because of the fall. Okay. I have two questions that you made me think of. So the first is... What is a fall? Like, how do we define, like, what is a fall defined as? Because I know that seems like a funny question, but like, what do you guys define as a fall? Like, how do you document that? So, a fall is anytime a patient is in either a kneeling or sitting or kind of prone position on the floor. It can be assisted or it can be unassisted. So it may be that someone's walking down the hall, they have somebody with them, but they lose control. The person's unable to keep them off the floor. So anytime somebody hits the floor, it may be that you walk into the room and you don't really know how they got on the floor, but they're sitting on the floor. That's still considered a fall. Gotcha. Okay. Just want to make sure. So why do they matter? Like, why are falls such a big deal? Like, when I think of the number of patients that come through a hospital like like ours, which is going to got to be in the tens of thousands a year, why is 850 falls a big deal with 20% of them resulting in an injury? That's a fracture, right? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, despite the pain and suffering, there are reasons why we prevent falls. The biggest one is that families entrust their loved ones to our care, and we want to take good care of them while they're here. You know, we don't want them to come into the hospital for a medical problem and leave with another problem like a hip fracture. Uh, we also report this data nationally. Every healthcare institution has to report their falls. There's a database called the National Database of Nursing Health Quality Indicators, and we report the number of falls that we have. And so, you know, with our aim to be a leading institution, we, we want to advance the practice of falls and do better than our peers and lead the way and in terms of making progress in falls, but it is a, you know, a pervasive problem across the country. So I have a couple other questions that, I, that come to mind on the topic of falls. And I mean, that makes sense, right? Of course, I imagine it probably, how does, and this is on the reimbursement side, but if a patient comes in and for, for whatever reason they fall and they're injured and require additional hospitalization, I assume the institution is responsible for fronting that as well. Yes, I, I don't believe that um, the coding for that kind of like institutional fall is actually a reimbursable expense, but I'm, I'm not an expert in the whole reimbursement part of that. No, I was just trying to think of like all the reasons that healthcare would be concerned about this. Not that they shouldn't, of course, obviously you want to help patients out. And as you point out, like you don't want to send them home with another problem but I imagine there's also financial impact as a result of it. And then your if length of stay is increased too, that of course is not <laughs> not something you want. Yeah, and and really falls is a is a global problem. I mean, it's a problem for people at home. So when I have talked with our clinical advisory group about falls, I just think the market for falls prevention is huge because it's not just hospitals, it's nursing homes, it's it's people in their homes. I mean, it, it's it's your grandmother at home who wants to maintain independent living and is afraid of falling. So I view this problem as one of those ones that I feel like more people should be thinking about. And 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 this is one of the reasons I wanted you on today is because I want this problem to be heard by more people and understood maybe a little better. So who falls? Like what, it, even like basically, you know, because when I've worked on falls, and I say worked on as if I've done anything significant, which is untrue. I've really not. I've studied a little bit. It seems to me like there's a huge variety of causes and locations and ages. And like, can you give us a sense for what buckets these types of falls end up in? Or is there even a way of doing that? Yeah. So just for an example, with every patient who comes in the hospital, we do a falls assessment. And so there are some just patient factors that we know are going to predispose them to be more likely to fall whether it is mental status, they're confused, whether they have gait or mobility issues, whether they depend on assistive devices devices to move around, are they impulsive and will get out of bed without help even if they're unable to walk independently? Uh, these are all factors that we consider when we think about how at risk somebody is for a fall. Interesting. I don't remember who it was I was speaking to. I re- your mentioning of the the risks for a fall triggered a memory that Vaguely, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was some, I think this is related to fall, somebody mentioned that one of the one of the strongest predictors was whether somebody was going to get released into uh, like, like assisted care when they leave. Is that, am I crazy out to lunch on that one? Is that one of the? Yeah, I don't know the data on that, but definitely the elderly are pro- disproportionately at risk for falls because of some of the other issues of gait, mobility, mental, func- you know, mental status, confusion, delirium. 
dementia. Delirium is an interesting problem that I've actually had an opportunity to learn a lot about um, through a couple of my student groups who've worked on it. And I know that is related to falls. But if we can zoom in on hospitals, because I think that's kind of what it makes sense to talk about today. Where do people fall and, and like, what are the biggest things in the hospital that you see? And the thinking, keeping in mind that there may be folks here that are listening to this that are, are may end up in the hospital one day, or maybe their parents or their children end up in the hospital and we'll have to consider this. Like, where do falls happen and why do they happen in the hospital? And then, like, what could patients be doing or thinking about or family members of patients be thinking about to help prevent them? There's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, that's great. The biggest area where we have patients fall is going to the bathroom, either getting out of bed to go to the bathroom or while they're on the toilet, if they become dizzy. And it's the biggest reasons why patients get out of bed and start to move around is that they need to go to the bathroom. So that's that's the biggest area. But we also have patients that fall getting out of bed, transferring to a chair, walking in the hallway. They may um, be unstable. So we, we do have falls that happen all over, but definitely going to the bathroom is the biggest reason why. Yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Especially because that's one of those things that, of course, is going to happen in the middle of the night, just like during the day. Yeah, that's really, I mean, that's, I suppose that's not particularly surprising. If you could give a piece of advice to people coming into the hospital or family members of people going to the hospital, like what what would you tell, like what do you wish patients knew that they maybe don't, if there is anything? Yeah, I, th- I think we have a lot of interventions in place to try to keep people from falling. And one of the unfortunate things is, is that some of those interventions come with a loss of independence, a loss of mobility, a loss of privacy. You know, we want to accompany patients to the bathroom. We want to be with them while they're on the toilet. We want to make sure they don't fall. And those are a lot of the things that we do to protect them and keep them safe. We want them to call us before they get out of bed so that we can come help them. And I think people can be very independent and function very well at home when they're in an environment that they are very familiar with and very comfortable with. But then when they come into a hospital environment, it's brand new, getting out of the bed, getting into a bathroom when you're not accustomed to doing that. I think people want to maintain independence. They want to maintain privacy, but doing so can come at a risk for their safety. And so I think as much as family members, if you come into the hospital to really think about, you know, we often say, you know, leave your privacy at the door. Like you just have to let us help you. (laughs) Yeah. So privacy seems like a big issue and maybe that's an opportunity for innovation. Uh, I guess, it, interestingly enough, it's now that I think of it, it's it's obvious, right? Like that makes sense, right? It's not comfortable having somebody else just in the bathroom with you. So we've got a picture for the most frequent cause of falls is getting up to go to the bathroom or being in the bathroom and something occurring. What are we doing now? To I mean, you just mentioned some of the things. So are there devices that you that we use in the hospital, or are there procedures or policies or like what are the things that we're doing now to help reduce the rates of fall and and or if somebody does fall, you know, prevent an injury as a reason. Like, I suppose one could argue that falling isn't a problem if, as long as you're not getting hurt. <laughs> That's a perhaps a strange argument to make. But if you could fall and not get injured at all, and it was just sort of like a thing that happened, like taking a step, you know. So uh, out of curiosity, what are the sorts of things that we are doing already aside from accompanying people and, you know, 
Yeah, so some of the things we do is assess every patient for their likelihood of falling right on admission. Um, and then we have visual identification of people who are more likely to fall. So they wear a big yellow wristband that tells everybody that walks by this patient is at a fall risk. If you see them out of bed or trying to get out of bed, there's somebody that we need to assist. We have do have some devices that will alert the staff if someone is trying to get out of bed. So we have an alarm that's on the bed, and we have alarms that we can set up on the chair. So if a patient's in a chair, tries to get up without assistance, an alarm will go off and alert the staff that this patient's trying to get up out of bed or get up out of the chair unassisted. We have ambulatory aids like walkers. Uh, We have gait belts, which is a belt that you can put around the patient, around their waist that will steady them as they walk. And then we have call bells. We do education with patients that we want them to call us when they get out of bed. We also round on patients every hour. So every hour, somebody will go into the patient's room and say, like, are you in pain? Do you need anything? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Can I get you a glass of water? And try to really proactively help patients with the things that they might want to get out of bed for. And then we do have some interventions that we'll use if a patient just is confused and not able to comply with what we're asking them to do to prevent falls. Some of those might be a lap belt, which is a a fabric piece of Velcro that we'll put around the bed and around their chest that will actually keep them from getting out of bed. Very infrequently, but sometimes we may do it is use like a wrist restraint that'll keep somebody from um, being able to get out of bed. We try very hard not to use those at all, though. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, (laughs) that's a pretty restricting intervention for sure. It's like you can't get in a car accident if you can't get in a car kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, but the technology that we don't have that I keep thinking about and I keep brainstorming about is how can we make it, like you said, so that if somebody falls, they don't get injured? Or how do we make it so somebody just really cannot get from a vertical standing position to being on the ground? Like, is there some kind of weeble-wobble technology that we can use or have on patients where they can get tippy, but they just can't fall down? <laughs> I can hear the commercial playing in my head now for those. Yes, I know. It's I'm so sorry. That'll probably, they you'll probably be thinking of that over. all day. <laughs> weeble-wobble. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, that's interesting. So it sounds to me like there's a lot of stuff we are doing already. And maybe some like want as do you think, uh, and this is purely conjecture. (laughs) Do you think that all the stuff that we're doing right now is reducing the probability of falls almost as far as we can do that? Or like, what are are there things that are obviously missing that we should be thinking about? Aside from, I'll call them active technologies, things that would keep you from falling or would, you know, keep you from being injured in the event of a fall? Like, are there are there things that we're trying out or doing differently right now? Or, I don't, I don't know, I realize this is kind of like a really rapidly evolving area and has been for a long time, but just curious to learn, like, what's the bleeding edge right now? You know, we have this evidence base of things that we've seen that prevent falls, like rounding, like going into the patient's room every hour and asking them, do you need to use the toilet? And then assisting them to do so. We, we know that works. It's also something that's very time-consuming, labor-intensive, 
it's a difficult process to maintain for every patient every time. And some of those things, I think, just in terms of our process and how we deliver care at the hospital, we can take a unit, we can apply a ton of pressure to making sure we do this process perfectly and maybe improve falls for a little bit. But as soon as we take our attention away and try to kind of broaden our performance improvement efforts to other things, we we start to slip back because these processes are just very, very laborious and difficult to maintain. So I had two questions. The first is, why do you think rounding every hour actually makes the difference? Is there evidence to indicate what specifically about that reduces the rates of falls? I know we know that asking people if they have to go to the bathroom that really does. And and part of the reason is because that's why people get, are getting up. So if we can kind of proactively ask them, hey, do you think you might need to go and get them ahead of that curve where they're just are just getting up on their own? Okay. That's kind of what I would have expected, but I wasn't sure if there was something specific about that. And an hour is a pretty, fr- like that's frequent. And I can see how that would be very time consuming and laborious, especially on a busy unit with, or if there's high acuity patients or anything like that, that would be really difficult and I was going to, the second question I want to ask, which I think you kind of already partially answered or maybe already completely answered was, you know, it seems to me like there's falls aren't the only thing happening from a quality perspective in the hospital. Like, is it possible or does it happen where focusing on one particular goal takes away from another? It kind of sounds like that may be the case in particular instances, but... It does. And and I think a lot of times when we're trying to improve the work that we do and have better outcomes for patients, there's a certain amount of focus that we can do on doing a better job, but then how do we sustain that focus is is a different story. Sometimes I liken it to like if you go to a fair and someone makes an animal out of a balloon, mm-hmm. you know, one of those long, thin <laughs> balloons that they twist into an animal shape. Well, we can we can do that and we can kind of get the animal shape right where we want it to be. But if the twists aren't like just in the right way, the air is going to squeeze out of one area and into another. <laughs> and we yeah. can squeeze it back. But, you know, those twists are like our sustainability. That's the way we sustain the projects that we do. And if they're not firm, if there's not a really good sustainment plan, then we end up kind of slipping back and the air slips out. And I think that's what we have seen with all of our efforts and falls for a long time. And this is where I think technology comes in. It makes those kind of tight connections and makes the sustainability, can make the work more effortless. And then that's the way we can see gains. And and that's that's what I keep thinking about falls is this is one area where technology could potentially help um, make long-term gains. So I'm so stuck on this fact that just going in every hour (laughs) can make a huge difference for falls prevention. And that got me thinking about people who work in sales. So, you know, a lot of folks that work in sales spend a lot of time reminding potential customers about purchases or, you know, hey, do you need anything? Hey, just want to follow up. It kind of made me think like what automated sales tools are there to be able to remind potential customers like, hey, in this instance, it would be a patient. Hey, do you need to go to the bathroom? Right? Like if you could have somebody standing in a room 24-7, just like, hey, do you need anything? Hey, do you need, do you think... Would there be any marginal improvements in, in if you had to guess based on like the frequency with which you check or is like an hour 
adequate. I'm, I'm just trying to think of ways that you could, if it's the action of a human that is required, or if it's just the reminder itself that that helps prevent things. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because you are reminding me of a technology that I forgot to mention that we have been using for the last couple of years and actually have been trying to increase the usage of. And that is a product that we call Telesitter. And it is a camera in the room with somebody who's in a remote location, but they're watching the screen so they can monitor many patients at once. And then they have an audio connection into the room where they can tell the patient don't get out of bed, or they can call the nurse's station and let the nurse know that the patient's trying to get out of bed without assistance. And we are trying to increase the usage of that. That's interesting. See, to me, like if I were a patient, I would find that a little voyeuristic and awkward. Uh, but I, which, and so are you finding that patients are uncomfortable with that? Or are they just like, this yeah. is great? Yeah. Okay. Yes, and that has been a barrier towards using this technology because it's an invasion of privacy. I mean, you can think about if you were in the hospital, would you want someone staring at you? <laughs> no, every Definitely minute not. of the day. No. Right. And we've actually found we've tried to use this more with our geriatric medicine patients, and uh, it can be extremely confusing to them to hear a voice come out of nowhere telling them to not get out of bed and upsetting and disturbing. Yeah. No, well, for any, I mean, certainly for anybody, especially at night, if you're waking up and where am I? Like, what's going on? I could see that being very confusing no matter who you are. And then not knowing what's triggering it to could be another thing too. It's sort of like an alarm. Like I can imagine a seat alarm or a bed alarm if it goes off when you roll over or shift weight, which I don't know if that happens, but you know, I could see that being one of the yeah, things that patients like, Oh, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I wonder Again, this is is me just thinking like an engineer, you know, it seems to me like if the thing, so if I put myself in a, in a, in, if I try to imagine myself being in a situation where I'm in the hospital and I may have to be in a bed for multiple days, maybe I have mobility issues or maybe I just, you know, whatever I might have, I might be on a medication that makes me dizzy or maybe confused, whatever. It seems to me like I would want to maintain as much independence as possible and what what strikes me as interesting about the going in every hour and checking with a person is most of the time I'm unmonitored. So it's like I'm on my own and I can feel independent. And then the prompt of saying, hey, do you need anything offers me the opportunity to take control as opposed to saying like, hey, don't get out of bed, which in my head is like the surveillance aspect of that makes me feel like I don't have independence and maybe that's part of it. But the reason I was asking about that was more if there was any technologies that are just meant to kind of remind a patient like, hey, in the middle of your TV show, I know there's a commercial happening right now, but if you want to go to the restroom, you might want to notify somebody or, hey, do you need a glass of water or anything like that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to think about. I think technology, some kind of technology like that reminder technology, like you said, would be interesting to try. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what exists, but it just it struck me as interesting that that was one of the things that seems to affect the quality of uh, or reduction of patient harm from falls. But uh, we can talk about that another time. So why do you think? And this is a leading question, <laughs> but why do you think falls haven't been f- solved yet? What in your mind? You've obviously been working in this area a while. Like, what are the like, why is it so well, hard would, for us to prevent falls? I would love to say gravity. I would love to say gravity, but probably I mean, say that, that is the best. <laughs> if you want to talk about root causes, <laughs> gravity kind of. I mean, if but if you were if you were in space, 
Would you, is there an analogous situation in zero gravity? And the only reason, this is fun to think about because it almost forces you to think about what the root cause of fall is, right? Yeah, yeah. Tripping, losing balance, unconsciousness. Like, I imagine vasovagal is sort of something that happens on the toilet. I guess you could get pushed. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like we have a good technology that's very expensive, because sometimes we do, but it's just cost prohibitive to use it. It's that we just don't have a good technology that, like you said, is going to make it so that if you do fall, you won't get hurt or to make it impossible for you to fall. Yeah. So I, I'll come back to that other question, like aside from gravity, right? What, why haven't we figured like what, what about falls as a, as a problem is, so co- is causing so much difficulty, do you think? I think because it's multifactorial why people fall. And I think that balance between people want to have control over their mobility and independence and that, in, you know, that we have to pretty much invade your privacy and independence to, to really make sure that no one's going to fall in this hospital. And so we're always balancing that. And I think, you know, even if I could pad your whole body with blankets and towels and make it so that you were all padded up, um, it wouldn't be comfortable to wear. There are some products where you can wear a harness that's attached to a trackpad in the ceiling that we do use for our patients who are in rehab and um, who have mobility issues. They're learning how to walk again. And we can hook them up to a, har- a harness and hook them up to the ceiling and have and have them connected to that trackpad that'll help them move around and make sure that they don't fall. But it's not comfortable to use on everybody. Sounds um, expensive. We can't capture every situation like that yeah it's it's expensive too yeah i think so here's my take on it from my i don't certainly don't have as much experience as you do uh in this realm but i would i i agree it seems to me like this is one of those problems that has so many root causes that it's not like there's not like one product that's going to fix all of it or even technique that's going to fix all of it right and this is something I get into with engineers and students all the time. They're sort of like, you can use the Six Sigma techniques of asking the why five times, and you might get to a root cause, but it's important to remember that not every time will you find there's only one root cause, which I suppose you're, one could argue gravity, right, is the root cause in this instance. But the root cause that we have any control over is multiple items, and so... Yeah, uh, it's a tricky, this is interesting. So I want to sort of, before we kind of wrap things up here, I want to ask questions about what you see in the future. So, and I hinted at it earlier, sort of like what, if you could wave a magic wand <laughs> and make this problem go away, maybe not what would it look like? Because uh, I don't want to, you know, like, I don't necessarily want to find out like what product idea we need to s- seek. But like, what are the, th- what things or areas will people be focused on for falls in the near future, do you think? Are there any trends? I think just in in our personal conversations about it, I think the kind of alerting technology that lets the staff know that a patient is moving or getting out of bed is really very primitive. Mm. Um, You know, it's based on a on a, it's based on a weight distribution. Gotcha. And so anytime someone redistributes their weight, the alarm goes off 
And then, of course, anytime you get a lot of alarming, you get alarm fatigue and the tendency to ignore that that alarm signal. Well, I was uh, on the subject of alarm fatigue because as soon as you mentioned alarms, I was like, oh, man, (laughs) alarm fatigue. I mean, do you feel like alarm fatigue is feeding into falls causing injuries? Or have you measured that? Is that? Do we know for sure? I don't know for sure, but I think it definitely leads to less alarm usage or alarm setting because people don't want to hear the alarms. Yeah. You know, the more we talk, the more complicated falls sound, even more so than I thought of it, because like now you're bringing in the fact that alarm fatigue is another issue that is unsolved pretty much in hospitals that is is like the next barrier if the intention is to have a system. <laughs> like, imagine, like, if there was a system where people could just notify you, like, hey, I got to the bathroom, which I know there is, there's the bell, but like, imagine there's a scenario that nobody ever gets out of their bed without letting you know ahead of time. That then you, then you have the same problem. Sort of like alarm fatigue is now in the way. So, yeah. What other things are complicated about falls that maybe we haven't talked about? I think another kind of aspect of falls is, is that it has to be so front of mind on nursing staff who are very, very busy. They have multiple patients to take care of and multiple priorities that they're trying to manage. So, you know, the easier we can make it for people to take care of falls prevention, and I think that's where technology can come in, the better we'll be able to apply it, you know, across the board because it is so time-consuming. Who's responsible for falls prevention? Uh, mostly falls on nursing. Yeah, it, 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 it's, all, it's all nursing and nursing assistants. Interesting. Yeah, and the reason I asked that is I was just kind of curious to know, like, what other things are being done, if any, uh, outside of just the nursing folks at the hospital? But Yeah, and I, I don't think it's an area where we have been very innovative. Most of our efforts are just really trying to get our process compliance at a high level where people are really complying with the processes we already have in place and there has not been a lot of innovation. And I think innovation would be if I knew that my patient would somehow be protected from a fall or if they did lose balance, they wouldn't hit the ground, it would just be great to have that kind of technology that would just be able to allow nursing staff to focus on other things. Yeah, this is it's such an interesting area. And it's encouraging to me to hear that this fast fissure, there were only, in my head, only 800 falls is is not terrible. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of people, but... And that makes me sound very insensitive, which I'm not trying to be, but it strikes me as there could, it seems like there's a plenty of opportunity for falls. And if every patient or even half of all the patients that come through are, you know, potentially at risk of a fall, for whatever reason, it seems to me like 850 is doing, is trending in the right direction. So what, I mean, obviously zero is an ideal number. Of the 20% of the falls that occurred that resulted in injury, was there any commonality between those or were they all just kind of random or? No, no real commonality. Like they all had this kind of profile to them. It's hard to tell who's going to be injured with a fall. You know, obviously patient factors like their bone health and bone strengths and comorbidities play a part. You know, if I fell, uh, hopefully I would not break a hip. But, you know, someone who's elderly and has osteoporosis, a, a fall is, is much more likely to result in a hip fracture. And 
you know, just seeing the nursing staff when they do have a patient that falls and injures themselves, it's deeply disturbing. It's disturbing for everyone on the unit um, to know that someone in your care ended up with a hip fracture, having to go to surgery, immobility that came afterwards. For elderly patients, sometimes a hip fracture is a fatal wound that they will not recover from. And so it, it can be devastating. I know more than one person who has died from that. Yeah. And it it very much is. And there's very much an analogy here. And I think this is a quality thing, right? Like you mentioned the sort of trauma that it can cause to not only the person, but the the people who are caring for that person. Because it is, yeah, I think that's an interesting point I hadn't been thinking about. It's like one of those things that you could have prevented. And in the medical devices world, and this is something that I talk about a ton with folks on the regulatory and quality side of things. The first day of class for my students, I talk about like, why does the FDA matter? Right? Like, why does it matter? And they're like, oh, well, you know, you know, some people come out and they're like, oh, well, you need, you don't want to break the law. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but why does the law exist? And invariably they get it right, which is because people are using this. And if you do something that could have, if you had changed your design and prevented a death or an injury, that's a big deal. <laughs> it's very analogous to like the quality end of things in the, in the medical devices world. Like the whole reason we do risk assessment, right? Is to try and prevent stuff from happening before it does, or to try and at least minimize the impact that uh, that, uh, that something somebody gets injured or a harm occurs. And I know I know there are people have heard me talk about this in the past. Like there's some, there's things, of course, in the medical devices world that will cause harm even when they're used correctly. That's the whole reason that you that physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals all weigh the risk benefits <laughs> when they're applying a therapy, but. I think the same is very much true, it sounds like, in the quality realm of just like operations and procedures in the hospital for monitoring for things like falls. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I'll, I'll comment, and this is just my opinion. I think the idea of an intake risk assessment that you guys are doing for falls is genius. Like, especially if you can, if you really have the key identifiers for what puts somebody at high risk for a fall, then it seems to me like one of a few things... You could use that as, you know, it'd be really cool to run this through like a machine learning system and see if you can train a machine learning system to like predict who is like acutely at highest risk and when for a fall, which I think it sounded to me like if I had to guess, it would be individuals who may have at night going to the bathroom that have delirium, <laughs> if I had to guess, would be like some of the major factors that go into it. But yeah, anyway, it's a it's an interesting topic to me and I I want to understand it better and I want people listening to the podcast to understand that it's such a complicated problem and we need more people thinking about it because as long as I have worked in healthcare or in medical devices, this has been a conversation that has not gone away and I will gladly welcome the day when falls is no longer the thing that people are worried about because they fix it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I hope that can happen. And, um, you know, you just made me think, too, of, like, my mother-in-law who lives at home. She's in her 80s. She has early stages of dementia. I probably am violating her HIPAA <laughs> rights just by saying all this. But, you know, she finds it invasive to even wear a call button around her neck so that if she does fall, if she does fall, she can call someone. And, um you know, my grandmother was the same way. They they felt like that was an invasion of their 
privacy and in their life, even to have to think about wearing something around their neck, that they would have a, an alert system. So I think there's a lot of kind of complex psychological aspects to it of like how much people are willing to give of mental energy, of life energy, of invasion of privacy to try to protect themselves from falling. I could go on all day about human factors on this one. I I strongly feel, I'm not in this field, but I, and so probably I'm out of my lane for saying this, but I find it really, no pun intended, alarming that that we have not done a better job of making accessibility items and things like notification alarms a lot more subtle. And what I mean by that is like, it doesn't make me feel self-conscious, right? Think about wearing like an insulin pump or, uh, you know, having to wear an alert bracelet or anything like that. Most folks aren't like walking around saying like, oh, check out my, you know, that's not like a fashion item. It often call it, it makes, it makes people feel different and out of place in many cases. And I'm overgeneralizing here on purpose. My point is, I feel like designers and engineers and companies should be thinking more about who's using this and what they want instead of what it's supposed to do. Because I think, because my question would be like, if you didn't have to wear something around your neck, right? If it was just something that was maybe a wristwatch that was already part of something you were already wearing or doing or using, would it bother you as much, right? That would be the question. Yeah, probably not. It's just part of your cool Apple watch that everyone wishes they had. I know, exactly. One day. (laughs) But um, anyway, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. I think that there's a huge amount of room for improvement. I think, you know, as we have aging populations, this is a whole different discussion that I'd love to talk about with some some folks, but I'd love to see better design in the realm of accessibility because a lot of it is just really ugly <laughs> and really in your face. You know, like I think about things like even the hand railings that go up in showers and stuff. It's like, who designed that? It's It's pure function and there's no form. You know, like a knurled piece of steel that protrudes out of the wall just makes it look so, uh. And I feel like there's so much better ways to design rooms and things that go in rooms to help out with falls prevention and with, you know, accessibility and just anyway, I, but I could go on yeah. all day. So. This is a whole other topic. And I think the word that comes to mind when I think about this is elegance. Is that when when you, like I know when I think about processes or quality or technology, when you find something that meets the need and then does it so well, like it just does it perfectly and form and function are really nice, the word that comes to my mind is just it's an elegant solution. And that's when I know, that's when I know I've kind of hit that quality button of like, this works. Well, let's hope that we find that for falls. <laughs> That's the, yes. If we can figure that out for falls, that'll be a big deal. Yes. And I'm going to keep talking about it to all your group of uh, engineers. <laughs> Hopefully someone is going to come up with something. We need it. And I wanted, like I said earlier, I, I'd love for folks listening to this to to deeply consider this as a problem to work on and share it with your friends. And, and if for folks that are listening to if you have experience with this and want to talk on the podcast about it or just shoot us an email, you can do that. Because I think, the again, the more people that are working on this, the better. Because it is a huge issue across the country, across the world. So, 
Anyway, Kim, we've been going on for a little while here, and I, I know I've taken a lot of your time, and I really appreciate you educating me a little bit more on falls and how we handle them here at UNC. Um, any final thoughts? I just want to thank you for your time. I, I love talking about uh, innovation and ways to try to do what we're doing better and uh, happy to collaborate on that. Well, that's awesome. And I'll mention you're also on our clinical advisory group, which I should have said at the beginning, which is invaluable. Um, and I think perhaps folks can hear why <laughs> by listening to today. But yeah, no, thanks very much, Kim. I really appreciate it. We'll definitely have you on again. And I'm sure we'll have some other awesome topics to discuss. But I look forward to uh, chatting about this in the future. Thanks again for joining me today, Kim. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks. What a complex topic. Falls and falls prevention is a nuanced, challenging issue that deserves our attention. We would love to hear your thoughts or questions about today's episode. Send a message to guidewire at unc.edu. Follow us on Twitter at GuidewirePod. For more content like this, consider subscribing to the Guidewire podcast on your favorite streaming service. As always, I'm your host, Devin Hubbard, and we will talk to you next time. Learn more about our exciting activities, opportunities, and team by subscribing to the Guidewire podcast on your favorite listening service. If you have identified an unmet medical need or are interested in learning more about our process, visit us at guidewire.unc.edu. You have been listening to Guidewire, a direct line to medical device innovation.